0: camp. I've, uh, I've got COVID. It's <laughs> like, great, perfect timing, just, just perfect timing for us, uh, but that's okay. It's all good because he's got an amazing, awesome team of volunteers around him, and as you can see, they stepped right up and stepped right in, and uh, it is awesome. Um, so thankful for them, uh, but please note, uh, this is killing David because this is like his thing. He loves to take the show on the road, so to speak, and so uh, this is really, really, really tough for him to not be here with us today. Um, as we start, uh, kids, uh, younger kids, um, you guys are more than welcome. You don't have to, parents, you don't have to send them, but uh, Megan is going to meet you right over there in that shelter, actually, she's right there, just kidding, she's already there, right over there in the shelter house, so you can go and hang out with Megan during this part, and then she'll send you back over during one of the closing songs, um, so you can stay with your parents, that's just fine, or you can go with Megan either way, we just wanted to make sure that you, uh, you knew you had that opportunity. Um, and their, their seats will be in the shade too, so that's, that's, that's kind of a bummer. But maybe, maybe those clouds will come back. Um, as the kids leave, though, I, I wanted to let them know that specifically today we're going to be talking about you. Um, mainly we're going to be talking about how Jesus wants us to be like you. There's a very specific way that uh, Jesus would like for all of us to be like them. And so uh, we're excited to, to share that this morning. We'll see you back here at the end here in just a little bit. As I prepared this message uh, several weeks ago, I like to look at the long-range forecast. And so I looked at the long-range forecast for today, and the weather literally said that today was going to be a sunny, uh, or I'm sorry, it was going to be a, a high of 85, it was going to be a bit humid, and there was a chance of some storms in the afternoon, but there would be 94% cloud cover. <laughs> Seems like all of that has come true, except for currently the clouds, they, they went away for us. So I don't know what happened there. Um, either way, welcome to the park. What a beautiful venue this is to kind of meet together. I'm so thankful that we we're able to, to use this. If if Berea is your home, I want to say thank you for being part of this experiment with us because that's literally what it is. Let us know. What do you think? Uh, should we do it again? Um, how can we make it a little bit better, you know, in the future? Uh, Maybe you saw a flyer, a post or your family and and you just joined folks today. Thank you uh, for joining us. And I want to let you know that uh, maybe you were literally just walking by and uh, you just kind of stopped in or you saw something this week. Here's the cool thing. Um, Today's a special day for you because you might not have known that you were coming, but God did. He brought you to this place and he's going to reveal the reason to you. I can't tell you what it is because I don't know. It might be the message of a song that you'll hear later on today. It might be the words from the book of Luke that I get to share with you. Uh, God might have prepared a a conversation that that you're going to have with somebody here in your midst that is going to allow him to speak to you. Our only request is this, that every one of us here today, that our hearts and that our minds are open to hearing whatever it is God has to say. Now, you might not have any idea what that means. We talk a lot about things like that in church, but we don't often explain them. Here's what I can tell you. As weird as it may sound, you will know. You will know if it's God sharing with you something that you need to hear. And if you're just joining us today and you just, just showed up, um, there's several of us that are gonna stick around. We brought some picnic lunches and I know some people brought some extra food and things. And so you're more than welcome to stay with us. If nothing else, uh, my wife and a small team put together some tea and lemonade and water for after service. So um, stick around and, and have a, a drink with us that way and just enjoy uh, that time together. We'd love to get to know you just a little bit better. All right, let's pray before we dive into to God's word this morning. Father, uh, you brought us here to this place this morning. You've given us your word handed down now for generation after generation after generation and every word remains true what a privilege and honor it is to share your word with your people today thank you for this beautiful place this beautiful day it's in jesus name we pray amen, amen. we are nearing as a church family the end of a year-long study now through the book of luke it's hard to bend, believe that it's actually been that long luke is referred to as a gospel it's this, along the lines there's three others matthew mark and john the gospels are simply books that tell the, the good news of Jesus, tells us who he was, what he did, what he taught. They share the sacrifice that he willingly made to for me and for you, for all of our sins, all of our mistakes. He took those upon himself and he took them to the execution, the execution on a Roman cross. He loved us so much that while we are still sinners, he chose to die for us. Even if we have no idea who he is at this very moment, you must know that he died for you. But then three days later, he arose conquering sin and death and giving every single one of us a chance to come to him, to choose him. He doesn't force us to love him. He doesn't force us to choose him in any way. He gives us this life on this earth as an opportunity to accept the free gift of forgiveness, of grace, of mercy, and the topic that we're going to speak on today, eternal life. Now, I don't know where each of you stand before God right now in your life, but I do know this. He's calling you to be his if you're not already. Even if this is your first time ever hearing in your entire life that there's someone who loves you this much that died for you, today could be the day that you are forgiven forever the day that you can receive that new life that God promises us, the day that you can walk away from your past and step into your future with God on your side. Hopefully you would all like to do that. Maybe you've known Jesus for a very long time, but in more recent times, you've kind of wandered away for one reason or another. Here's the awesome part. You actually can't wander away from Jesus. He's always with you. He hasn't left you. He's still by your side. He wants you to turn to him and acknowledge that he's there. No matter what you've done, he will take you back. But the choice is yours. The choice is yours. I love the gospel message for so many reasons, but I love the hope that it provides for anyone, especially in this world that we live in. We are called to take his message of hope to anyone who will listen. And that is why we're here today. As I mentioned, we're nearing the end of this study through the book of Luke. And in this final, well, kind of final phase, we're looking at all the teachings of Jesus. Last week, we looked at this short parable about two guys who showed up at the temple to pray. One was very, 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 very confident in his own self-righteousness, his own ability to be good and to earn his own way into heaven, all the while looking down on everyone else that wasn't as good as he was. The second man saw himself as a sinner He had no hope of heaven without the mercy of God being poured out on him. And Jesus said that only one of those two was seen as righteous before God. And of course, that was actually the sinner. He knew he could not save himself. He knew that he could not impress God with his life. All he could do was fall on his face and beg for God's mercy. That's a position that all of us should find ourselves in frequently. This scene follows up that those two moments with a a famous moment from Jesus's ministry. For those of us that might've grown up in the church, it is likely that you visited a church somewhere that had this mural painted on a wall, probably in the nursery. It was either a picture of Jesus standing or sitting with a whole bunch of kids gathered around him. How many of you have seen that in your church basement? Okay. Yeah, mine too. Um, Two of them that I've been to yes in in my life. The inspiration for those pictures comes from this very moment as Jesus welcomes the children to come to him. Sometimes in this world, we kind of view children in the wrong way. And sometimes we view them maybe as being incapable of truly coming to Jesus. We might feel like they're not ready. Now, that can be possible. There is a point where, where we have to determine that. But that they don't know enough, that they're not capable of understanding what it means to make that kind of commitment to Jesus. If that's the case, then why on earth would Jesus hold their faith up as an example? We'll talk about that. So in Luke 18, 15, if you've got your Bible or your phone or whatever device, that's great. We also printed it off. It's on those sheets for you so you can follow along there. Luke chapter 18, verse 15 it said, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When those disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to them and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now it says babies at the beginning. It says children later, similar words. Obviously there's children there because they couldn't, they, they walked to him. The babies could not. The people are bringing these children to Jesus on purpose. This wasn't unusual. They were bringing them to him to bless their kids. That's their purpose. Jesus had kind of set himself apart as somebody that appeared to be closer to God than anybody they'd ever met before. Plus, there was something different about him. He was just a little more approachable than the other religious leaders. He was more welcoming than others. So parents, grandparents, neighbors, and friends would bring their children to Jesus. I might add, parents, neighbors, grandparents, and friends, we need to be bringing our children to Jesus. You might ask, how? Great question. There's a theologian named Albert Schweitzer. He said that there are the three most important ways to influence people are this. By example, by example, and by example. Yeah, we lead our children to Jesus by example. We do this by reading to them from the word of God, by having God-centered conversations with them, by bringing them to church by serving alongside them, by showing them what it looks like to be a follower, though imperfect, of Jesus, by living out our faith before them. He alone will open their hearts and their minds to making that decision to follow him. That's not our job. We are called to point them in the right direction and to give them every possible chance to choose him that we can. For those of us that might question whether or not a child can truly make a decision to follow Jesus, I want you to think about it this way. Are our kids capable of fully loving something? Are they able to fully trust in something? Are they able to understand when someone does something for them, especially something that they could not in any way do on their own? Is there a point in their lives where they begin to understand the difference between life and death and what it means to die? Do they understand right from wrong? You'll find that children at very young ages begin to understand all of those principles. So Jesus seemed to think that there was something very special about a childlike faith. We'll get back to that in a minute. Not everybody shared Jesus's view here. We read the disciples, they they saw this totally differently. They thought the children were in the way of what was most important. To Jesus. They seem to be more focused on the adult side of ministry and these children just need to move right along their way and get out of the way so Jesus could go back to what they thought was the most important thing to tend to, the most important people to reach. It seems as if the disciples just didn't seem to understand or notice that uh, Jesus was continually welcoming with open arms those that the world seems to just write off or dismiss. Children in that culture were not of really high value until they were old enough to be a productive member of their household. They were just a drain on all the resources. The Greek word used here in that very passage is paideon, which actually is also used for slave or servant, to let you know kind of the status of children in that culture When Jesus rebukes the disciples and he tells them they have it all wrong, bring the kids in a little bit closer. So he brings them in. He looks at the adults and he tells them, guys, here's the thing. Um, The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who won't receive it like a child, well, they're never going to enter into my kingdom. Now, that had to be quite a shock for those listening. It seems completely backwards. Aren't they supposed to grow up first? In some ways, yes. Yes, there are some ways that as believers, we should grow up. We can't be childish. We've got to leave our childish ways behind us. Think about most of the problems that exist within the church. We are to be unselfish. We should not whine and complain like little children. We should be craving more and more of him and his word. Fellowship with his people should be a priority. Sharing the incredible story of Jesus within our life with those around us becomes a pleasure rather than a burden. We must leave our childish ways up behind. But Jesus says we have no chance to receive the kingdom of heaven unless we won't enter it as a child, unless we will enter it as a child. Jesus doesn't tell us to be childish. He tells us to be childlike. So a childlike faith, Jesus is telling us, is necessary for salvation. Without it, we can't be saved. So what does this mean? What does it mean to have a childlike faith? Here's a few characteristics for you that Jesus was referring to. The first is this, a sense of trust and dependence. Most children don't worry about what they're gonna eat, whether they'll be provided for what they need. How many of us have had, have had kids whether they'll be protected in any way? They trust us as parents that we will provide for them. How many of us have had our kids literally just jump into our arms off a ledge? How many of us have thrown our kids up in the air? They don't think a thing about it. They trust us. They think we're going to catch them. They just get to experience flying for a moment, hopefully just a moment. Another is a sense of the trust in what we say. Unless you and I have given our kids a reason to doubt us, most kids believe their parents almost to a fault. Some think their parents literally know everything. It's not until they get older that they start to question and move in a different direction. We tend to lose that sense of trust and wonder as we grow older. Sometimes it's because people we have trusted have let us down. Sometimes it's because people have, we, we trust us, sometimes it's because we start trusting in our own perceptions, in our own views, more than we trust the instruction of others. We may have been told something's wrong, but in our mind, it's something that we desire. So right or wrong often goes out the window when it comes to our feelings. As we grow up, the number of people and sources that influence, that influence our decisions, those things grow as well. And we get information that contradicts maybe what we've been taught. So once again, we're left to choose. Are we going to choose the advice or the path that we most desire or what was probably right? (laughs) Think about it. A childlike faith means to come to God with the trust and dependence of a child. We believe that the Lord can provide for everything we need for salvation in our lives. We trust what he has to say to us. We continue to follow him even when the path is difficult or that path is different from what you and I desire. We don't spend our time worrying because we have absolute confidence in our God, much like a child should be able to have in his or her parents. Another thing a child possesses for a while is humility. Now, this doesn't last a long time for some kids, but a child doesn't look around and judge those around them unless they witness us doing it. They don't t- they typically feel free <laughs> to to jump in with anybody. They actually look around for people that share what's in common with them and they find those commonalities and they play like nothing is wrong. And they build relationships from those things. Maybe we adults could learn just a few things from our kids in those areas. They also don't have a problem coming to us as parents, do they? When they're hurt, when they need to be held, when they're hungry, or many other things. That's exactly how we should approach our Heavenly Father as well. With all of those things and more. The person who has faith in the Lord <laughs> in their hand, it comes to the Lord with their hands wide open. They're not trying to impress God with their resume. They come as they are. They don't try to instruct the Almighty. They submit to him. They listen and they follow. One of my favorite characteristics of a child is the sense of wonder. It is fun to take children on adventures, maybe to an amusement park, maybe to just play in the swimming pool, maybe for the first time to the zoo or the circus or to see fireworks, or even just to stare up at the sky When Kinley was much younger, I distinctly remember a day we were hanging out in Avon and we saw out our van window a hot air balloon in the sky. We didn't have anything to do, so we literally spent the afternoon chasing the hot air balloon. We chased it all the way it eventually ended up in Plainfield and we arrived at the neighborhood that it landed in the middle of the neighborhood street. I do not think that was the intention of the hot air balloonist, but that is what happened. And it was so much fun. We also have a tendency, we love to chase rainbows. We will literally get in the car when we see a rainbow and go after it and go try to find that rainbow. I dare you. Next time you see a rainbow, hop in the car with the kids and go. Hop in the car with the kids and go. Don't ever lose that sense of wonder. They take it all in. Children aren't distracted. They don't have something else more important to do. When they have something and they're in wonder of it, they focus all their attention on those things. That is the wonder we need to have when it comes to God. God wants us to have that sense of awe and sense of wonder when we come into his presence on a day like today. He wants us to have that passion to know him and love him more. He wants us to stand in awe of him. There's two more short things before we get on to the second half of the passage today. A child is receptive. Author David Gooding writes it this way. Children know how to receive a gift. They simply take it. At their first birthday, remember, they really didn't know what to do. You kind of had to open things for them. As two-year-olds, if they had older siblings, they had it all figured out. By the time they're three, the paper flies everywhere. A child just takes those gifts. It takes the food. It takes their parents' love. It takes their protection. They don't think about it. They take it because it's given to them without beginning to even think or wonder whether or not they deserve them. Why they're important enough to receive such attention doesn't matter. This is how we must receive the kingdom of God as well in order to enter into it. A child isn't suspicious of a person's motive, nor should they be. Unfortunately, our world has corrupted us and we have to question everyone. But they don't think about what someone might want in return. They simply embrace life. God wants us to embrace the grace and the mercy that he has to offer us the same way. He wants to offer us this free gift and wants us to embrace a gift that we cannot possibly earn no matter what we've done. Lastly, the child loves and the child forgives very easily. Children are great at giving enthusiastic hugs. How many grandparents are a recipient of these enthusiastic hugs? They come running at you on purpose. It is a shame that we lose that isn't it something in our culture causes us to now i guess as adults it might be a bit awkward at times if we approach people the same way but the truth is we lose something as adults we lose that state we're guarded because we're afraid of getting hurt we don't want to show vulnerability children love freely they also forgive freely children don't always like what we have to say especially when we tell them no But it doesn't take long before that child's cuddling right up next to us on the couch. They kind of forget that that ever happened. You watch two children fight, and one of those children might say they're sorry, and it's over right away. They might not say they're sorry, and they're back to being best friends. Some of you might have grown up in a context where you literally got into a fist fight with your best friend, and 10 minutes later, you were playing together like nothing ever happened. That is a characteristic that we as adults should definitely carry forward, that ability to forgive as a child forgives. In this example that I've just shared, Jesus shares with us the only way to receive his kingdom as a child. The second passage, we actually find someone who's unwilling to receive the kingdom. It's in Luke 18, 18. It's just the very next verse. We're not skipping anything this week. But we're going to look at this same story in Mark chapter 10, verse 23. So you can turn there if you want, but I'm literally gonna fill in a couple of gaps because the book of Mark, author Mark, writes down a couple things that are so important to this story. So I'm gonna read them side by side. So if you're reading from Luke, you might say, well, that's not in here. No, it's in Mark chapter 10, verse 23. All right, you can read it later if you wish. In, in verse 18, a certain ruler, Mark fills in, ran up to Jesus, fell on his knees before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asked, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not covet. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder, steal, or give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. The man said, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him, Mark tells us, and loved him. And then Jesus said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, go give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a very wealthy man. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Mark adds the disciples. The disciples were the ones who heard and they asked the question, who? Who then can be saved, Jesus, if that man can't? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Or Mark says, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Peter said to him, we have left all we've had to follow you. And Jesus tells them, I truly, I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and the age to come eternal life. And Mark adds at the end, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. We've got to look at this man first. Who on earth is this guy? We don't know. He was a ruler of some kind. The Bible doesn't define what kind of ruler. He has authority. He has power. People look to him. Mark also tells us he was young and he was rich. The only thing they leave out is whether or not he was good looking. We don't know that. It seemed that he had everything else in life. Sounds like a good life. Some things never seem to change. He had some benefits. Wealth brings benefits in this world. It opens doors. But another characteristic that Jesus reveals is that this guy seemed to be a pretty good person. As well. He worked hard to keep the second half of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. Don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't covet. This man seems to be doing well, and he probably treated people pretty well. So he was probably a pretty good ruler. But he asked a question, and he asked a question that opens up a small problem for him. His question What must I do to inherit life? In other words, it's about salvation. What must I do, Jesus, to be saved? Jesus confronts him with the reality that, um, man, you've done awesome your whole life. That is great, but uh, salvation isn't something that you can earn. It's not a human achievement. The Apostle Paul writes to the church of Ephesus in chapter 2, verse 8 It is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this isn't from yourself, it's a gift of God, not by works. So no one can boast. This man has a lot of works, good works. He's a good man. But there was something not right, there was something missing. So he came to the right person with the right question, because with all that he had and all that he had done, he knew something was missing. If anyone in his culture should have been confident of his salvation, it should have been this man, according to the religion of his day. But he wasn't. You see, Jesus wasn't about to change the standard of entry into his kingdom for this man, even though this guy checked off a whole lot of boxes. I got bad news for our culture today. Jesus is not going to change the standard to get into his kingdom for our culture today because we think we know better. This guy checked a lot of boxes. He seemed to be very, very insincere. He genuinely addresses Jesus with respect. He fell down on his face before Jesus, a posture that indicates his question and the concern that accompanied it was genuine. Jesus asks him, have you been a good man? The man excitedly said, well, yeah, actually, I've been a pretty good guy. But he seems to know that's not the ticket. (laughs) That's not how we obtain eternal life. But Mark alone records something that's so special after that part of the conversation. Mark somehow talked to someone that had insight into that moment and saw the look on Jesus's face and watched Jesus look at this man and love him. Before he tells the rich young ruler the answer to the question, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus knew that this man was going to reject him. He knew he was going to walk away sad here in just a moment, but he looked at him and he loved him anyway. Even though the man wasn't able to to, to affirmatively answer Jesus' question, to agree to Jesus' content in that moment, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And the reason that passage, that part of the passage is so important for us today is because that is how Jesus looks at you and I today. He looks at us and he loves us and he looks at every other human being on this planet and he loves them, regardless of whether or not they know him yet. He knows that he loves them and that he died for them. It's so important. This is how Jesus looks at us. Whether you're coming here to him to ask him how you can be saved or literally you're trying to run away from God as fast as you possibly can, it doesn't matter. He still looks at you and he loves you. Don't ever forget that. Wherever your life takes you, whatever road it goes down, whatever problems you have later in life, please let this the sound of this voice echo in your mind forever that Jesus looks at you and loves you in that moment. Never, ever forget so Jesus looks at him. He tells him, "Man, that's awesome. You've done great with the second greatest commandment, the second half of commandments. Love your neighbors yourself. You're doing a great job of that. So, um, how about the first? How about the first? That that's you know, love me, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. I need you to put me first. And oh, by the way, rich young man, I know what's keeping you from being able to do that. So, so just do this. Just go give everything you have away to the poor and come and follow me. Oh." You know, the man didn't accept Jesus' invitation at that moment. I leave it there because we don't know what happened to that man. I believe personally that he came to know Jesus later. There's no way he had that moment with Jesus and wasn't impacted. And so I feel somehow, some way he came to know Jesus later because of his response. Luke tells us that Jesus noticed the man walking away. And as he walked away, he walked away sad. In our culture, when we share with someone Jesus and maybe some of the things that he would like for them to change, they get mad at us. They get angry at us. They get frustrated at us because they're more worried about themselves. This man walked away genuinely sad. That tells us even more about this rich young man. He was serious in his devotion to God. He wanted to do what was right. He asked the right question of the right person. He wanted to know the right answer. He wanted the peace and the security that's found when you're in the hands of God. But But right now, in this man's life, he found his peace and his security and his stuff and his possessions. He couldn't imagine life without his wealth. Where would his identity be found? It would be found in Christ. But he didn't understand that yet. His sadness as he walked away would have been matched by only one thing. And that would have been the sadness of Jesus Christ as he watched the man walk away, rejecting him in that moment. You see, Jesus looked at that man and he loved him. And he just gave him the opportunity, literally the keys to the kingdom, eternal life but not just even that he gave him in the moment the opportunity to follow jesus the rest of his earthly ministry and beyond and the man chose to walk away now as this scene unfolded i want you to imagine the disciples faces don't get caught reading and just imagine this being a faraway place imagine you were standing there as jesus shared this scene with you and you're watching that man walk away sad It is possible that someone in that group of disciples actually knew this man. He was a rich ruler. He would have been known by the community. As they were watching this guy come to Jesus, they're thinking, Man, that would be awesome if this guy joins us. We know who he is. He's rich. Remember, they did not truly understand what Jesus' kingdom was all about. They saw a rich, powerful, influential man coming into their group, and they thought, Hmm. That's kind of who I want to be. Rich, powerful, and influential within Jesus's kingdom. This is pretty cool. We would love to have this guy alongside of us. Then they watched the man walk away sad. Their mouths hanging open. If if we could just add that guy to our team, man, things would change. Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he adds a little tidbit there about how hard it is for a rich man to enter heaven, basically saying it's almost impossible. Now, if you want to do some saying, you can read commentaries. And, and some people write, well, what Jesus was really saying was, well, the camel and the eye, and this was referring to this. No, no. He's talking about a literal camel going through the eye of a needle. Literally. Take him literally. That's what he's talking about. That's pretty much impossible for man, remember. And so he shares them this. They understand. They, they're like, what is going on? If, if this guy can't possibly enter into the kingdom, then Jesus, how on earth can we be saved? So Jesus' response is perfect. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Or Mark's version, with man, you're right, guys, it's not possible for you to enter heaven. You're absolutely right. But here's the thing, I'm not man. With God, all things are possible. And then he goes on to share with us the next lesson. All things are possible with God. Jesus' words are specifically tied to salvation, to eternal life. Anyone, anyone can receive that gift, but we must receive it like a child. Jesus just told us, fully believing, fully trusting, fully willing to follow him wherever he might lead us. And we must be willing to remove any barrier that we have placed between us and God. Anything that we have put above him within our lives. You see, it's not that the rich man could not be saved. It was possible. As a matter of fact, next week, the story we will read is about a rich man being saved. So Jesus immediately, literally, God has this all worked out perfectly. The disciples hear this story. This is impossible. Jesus is like, well, it's impossible with you, but it's possible for me. And just a day or two later, they watch the impossible happen as a rich man comes to Jesus. And we'll share that with you next week. It's not that he couldn't be saved, it's that he chose not to be saved. He was unwilling to crush that idol. He wasn't willing to allow himself to take last place in life. He was not willing to be born again and be a new creation and to leave his old way of life behind us that was keeping him from being devoted to Jesus. His wealth was his barrier to coming to Jesus. What is your barrier today? What is between you and Jesus right now? What is Jesus asking you to lay down? What is Jesus asking you to remove from that very top spot in your life? Eternal life will only come by eliminating whatever that substitute God is. For this man, it was money, possessions. What is it for you? A Scottish theologian by the name of Sinclair Ferguson said this, only when he, God, gives us a new heart. Only when he gives us new hearts to abandon everything for Christ will we finally be free from our personal forms of idolatry and yield to the principles of the divine demands of Jesus to take up our cross and follow him. Until then, we may be intrigued. We may be interested. We may show up on a Sunday. We may be sad like this rich young ruler. We may be convinced. We may be moved. We may be stimulated, but we remain unchanged. If you're here today, and you are ready to receive that gift of new life, then there's no better place than here in creation to accept that gift of salvation. There's nothing more you need to do than acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior, repent of your sins and agree, God, take me. I'm willing to follow. Don't walk away sad like that rich young ruler. Jesus offers us all a fresh start. He's offering you forgiveness. He knows what you've done. He knows where you've been. He looks at you and he loves you. And now, He waits for you to respond. He's actually been waiting your entire life. He's ready to do the impossible in your life today. But believers, there's a serious challenge in this for us as well. Do you and I still receive the kingdom of God like a child? If we're 80 or 90 years old, do we still receive the kingdom of God as a child? Or has the world taught us that there's another way? That we really should try to achieve this salvation on our own. Figure out our own way to God. In essence, try to save ourselves. Or have we intentionally or unintentionally placed things in our life ahead of God? Men, are you and I the spiritual heads of our households? Or have we allowed our wives to take on that role because we're too busy doing other things? Men, women, is there something else that has taken the love of your life spot Is Jesus the top spot, the love of your life, or is your husband, your wife, or even your children in that spot? When you and I choose to make sacrifices, especially with our time in life, do we make sacrifices to spend more time with God? Or do we instead sacrifice our time with God for worldly pursuits? All of us have something that is either currently a barrier between us and God, or something that could so easily fall into that place without us even noticing that today is the day to confess that and seek God's help to overcome. I hope you're as thankful for the cloud cover as I am. God's good all the time. And he offers this to you today. If you're a believer, if there's an obstacle, let's remove that today. Let's pray over you today. Let's get that obstacle out of the way. If this is the first time you've ever heard the gospel message, or maybe the first time you've ever heard that Jesus loves you this much, do not ever forget that ever again, no matter where life takes you. And if the spirit moves in you today and you're like, wow, I need to do something about this information I just learned. Come see us right down front and we will let you know what's next on that journey. Father God, what a blessing it is to be with your people today in your house. Father, this absolutely is the house of God in a greater way than we could even imagine in your creation. Father, this beautiful creation that you've given us to enjoy life in. Father, we thank you for your presence with us today. We thank you for those that have gathered. We thank you for your word. Still, it's amazing how your word is still here. Should have been destroyed so many times so long ago, but yet you have persevered. You have kept it here for us and its truth remains. Father, today... Those truths are very simple. Father, in order for us to come to you, we've got to come like a child. We've got to come believing who you are, what you did, and just trust. Trust in you and your willingness to save us. And Father, like that rich ruler, he sincerely wanted to, to follow you. And I, I believe in your grace and your mercy that somehow, some way, that man came to know you and probably was able to use those finances to help grow your kingdom when it first was born. I just... I just believe we'll meet him in heaven one day. And I can't wait to talk to him. It'll be such a cool story. But for here on earth, Father, what do we have in our way? Father, what is a barrier between you and me? What's keeping me from falling on my knees before you and praising you this very morning? What's keeping me from serving you in all the ways that I know that I should? Father, what's keeping me from giving back to you what is rightfully yours anyway? Is it fear? Father, whatever it is, help us to remove those barriers today. As in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.